Flow. I'm your host, Anita Grantham. Welcome to Episode 7 of HR Unplugged. Today, we're sharing five pillars for building a positive culture at your organization. This is one of my favorite topics, and I can't wait to dive in. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Today, we're talking about the five pillars for building a positive culture, and I, I, I'm excited to have this conversation. I know uh, Bamboo HR, we, you know, we're so culture forward and we, we have such a, a valuable culture that we protect fiercely. And that's a big deal for us and, and why you're part of our organization, Anita. That's part of like why we, we got you. And I'm so glad we did. And I'm glad that we invest in this. And I know that it's also one of those kind of uh, difficult topics to really put your finger on. It's like a, it's a little um, lofty, con- like conceptual for a lot of people. And so I'm glad we're going to be talking about this because I think that there's going to be a lot of questions on how do you actually do a positive culture and, and reality? How do you implement this? But we're going to go over um, some pillars, specifically some five pillars uh, for building that positive culture. And then we'll make sure you have some actionable items to, to step away from today with something in mind about how you can actually go and get started with what you're working on in your organization. Um, yeah, Anita, how are you doing? How was your day? <laughs> How's it going? I'm great. I'm doing great and excited to be with you, Takara. And I love all of these people from all over. Uh, so many great people from all over and great different industries. So we're we're going to have a lot of fun today. Awesome. Okay. So how how important is company culture? Let's let's talk about, you know, we we say it's important, right? But the importance of building a positive work culture, how is this driving business performance and our values, um, driving our culture? What is it really as important as as we make it out to be, or is it kind of you know lip service uh to the generation that we are? How do we say like um how important this really is for all of us? Would you would you say that this is something that adds to productivity and engagement in your organization's audience members? Uh, we want to go ahead and ask you, let's go ahead and get this poll open for starting today. How important is company culture for your productivity engagement in your organization? Is this affecting you? My note to you is that it's happening whether you define it or not. <laughs> It would be in the like it's, very literally. We hardly think about it, but everybody else is. Right, right. It's it reminds me it reminds me of uh, in college uh, when I was doing my PR segments of 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 studies, and they were like, "You have a personal brand, whether you whether you like it or not." <laughs> and it's That's a matter so of whether or not you're doing it intentionally. Um, so you might as well, right? So yeah, yeah. I love that. That's a good analogy for it. Whether you do it or not, it's happening out there. Okay, we've got our, our poll results in. Half of us here agree that it's a cornerstone, that it's critical. Awesome. And then another 40% know that it's important. Definitely not the whole story, but absolutely important. So glad we're we are starting off all on the same page here that, that organizational culture is critical and important to, to the business. Um, what is your take, Anita? What do you have to say about prioritizing um, culture and this initiative around investing in positive culture in, in the organization? Yeah. So like I started out and said before, it's happening whether you know it or not. 
So it's important for you to ask yourself this question, is the culture that we have in our organization today driving the outcomes of our business that we want? Is it working? And to me, that's kind of the definition, right? Culture is there as a definition for how we treat each other and how we drive performance in our business. So maybe that's like a good level set. And then it happens whether you define it or not. And so do you like the outcomes that you're getting? Is your business performing? Do you enjoy working with your coworkers from a value standpoint? Um, do you see this kind of uh, solar system of effect working together through your mission and your leadership and your values and your strategy? And that's what we're going to talk about in the pillars today. But I, I think it's happening or not. So why not put intentionality around it? And let's let's define it. Let's take a little bit and really understand what works and what doesn't. Awesome. Yeah, I think one of the things maybe we can uh, include today, too, is maybe pointing out where maybe you identify that culture is the solution when by based on the problem, right? Because we might see problems and things like we know it impacts engagement and retention. Um, but how do we validate that the culture is kind of the area of, of gap of lack, right? To say, this is what needs to be invested in and help help build that case for uh, our HR leaders when they're trying to bring these initiatives to the table and get buy-in and, and support, right? Um, I think that's like a, a backwards engineering, if you will, that that can help with that. I think selling the case, right? Because at yeah. some point, I think we're kind of, we might be preaching to the choir here based on that first poll, but how do we bring that message across to the rest of the org and the leadership, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Let's let's kind of talk about um wow, we've got some really, really active chat. I love it. Keep bringing those in. Um, we're gonna have we're gonna have some um time to chat through some of those questions just in a little bit later, but we're gonna go through just some initial discussion points here. Um, let's talk about what it means to have a positive company culture. What does that actually look like? What metrics can we look to to define that? Yeah, I, this is a great point. I was just with a bunch of HR leaders in Indianapolis last week. It was so fun. Shout out to anyone in the Indy area. And there's a few things to know is that company culture is important for job seekers. You know, 50% of job seekers say that's important. So one out of every two, so important to know. 88% of job seekers say that a healthy culture at work is vital for success. And 15% declined a job due to the company culture. And so, again, like whether you call it out or not, it's having an impact on what you're doing on the attraction mechanism, but also on the retention mechanism. I look at the companies that are really surviving this great resignation, and most of them always had great cultures. Everybody else is just trying to catch up, and they're like, oh boy, I better have like a great culture, otherwise people are going to leave us, but it's almost too little too late. We've gone through this whole era through 2020 of, of you know, uh, I was going to say physical unrest, me and like COVID, we've had this pandemic, we've had emotional unrest, socioeconomic unrest, right? All of these things have, have played in. And so if your company wasn't stable from the start and you put all of this change and drama into the system, it only increases your instability. And I think right now people want things they can count on and they want to know that culture matters so that they can know that they're making a great decision when they come into your organization. 
I, yeah, I can't agree more. I definitely had my own interview experiences and competing job offers where my decision largely did come down to uh, the culture, the culture that I was picking up on from the people that I spoke with in my interviews. Um, Bamboo HR was, was somewhere where I was like, everyone I talked to seemed to be really happy about working there. And that, that definitely gave me a, a, a good, a good feeling about taking that, that decision. Um, I didn't answer one piece. Tell me if you want me to go into this, but you asked me specifically about the metrics. And so a lot of feedback I got from the HR leaders this week were like, how do we measure something that's squishy? And so I think, you know, we can talk more about this as we get into the five pillars, but part of it is your, is your business performing? That's my number one metric. Like a bamboo is a growth company that's important to us. So are we able to grow? So our, and growth to me is predicated. Are we able to retain our current team members and what is our churnout of people that we regret losing? So I like measuring you know, uh, how many we're keeping and how many we're losing that we regret losing is our business performing. And then three other key metrics I'd encourage you to look at. Do they say they're proud to work at your organization? Because I think feeling pride in what you do kind of senses that you're, you're proud of it. You want to be there. You want to stay on the mission. Do they say that they want to um, say, stay, do they want to stay for the next two years? And I don't think two years is unreasonable. I know that 10 year keeps dropping. I still, my goal is to keep every team member for at least four years. I think that's my stretch goal. Two years is reasonable. And do they feel like they can strive in the environment? Do they feel like they're growing and they get to get greater contribution and impact in their roles? So those are a few ways that I, those are five KPIs that you can take out of this right now and kind of look at. Um, those are my favorite to kind of get a sense of what type of culture are we in and does the outcome of business performance measure to the impact inside? Because I don't know about you all, I've worked at places that have great cultures and have really crappy business performance and that doesn't work either. So you want both. You want a strong internal sense of what's happening and then you also want strong business performance. Yeah. Awesome. And I know you mentioned the 10 year timing and your goal to keep us at least four years. And I think that that absolutely makes sense in a SaaS and a tech company. Is that going to be really industry kind of, uh, determined whether or not that kind of metric of how long are we keeping people and who do we regret losing? Right. Is that going to be really affected by industry differences? I think it will change based on industry, but I do think that four years at any one organization is a good is a good path. I talked to a guy on the plane on the way out to Indianapolis, and he had been at his organization for 17 years. And I love hearing that too. I think the larger the organization, the longer you can stay because then you can move around into different jobs. If you're working maybe at a small organization, it's also dependent on growth rate. If your organization is growing really fast, that provides you opportunity. If your organization is smaller or doesn't have as quick of a pace, then your opportunity to stay there longer might not be available because there's not a job or role for you to go horizontally or diagonally or vertically into. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, great. Um, a lot of people are in, a, in the chat are talking about defining culture. And yeah. so maybe before we move on, we could have a little bit of a, of a moment here to assess. I, I think what you said was really valuable about what you picked up on, on uh, these more nuanced metrics than just the general like ENP, uh, employee and NPS score, right? Yeah. Uh, or 
like engagement metrics that we've used in the past, those are um, really good nuances as like, do you want to stay? How long do you want to stay? Some of those questions. But when we're talking about what actually are the components that make up culture, can we get a little more, um, I guess, in the like nitty gritty about what types of things are part of that? And I'm seeing here, um, Carmela offered up, you know, defining as like respect, honesty, safety, fiscal responsibility, even um, there was a, a nice comment I thought about um, company culture being what you bring home with you after yeah. work. But yeah. yeah, what are the what are the components that make culture if we're trying to figure out if we're all talking about the same thing? Yeah, I think this is a great question. So to me, the architecture of culture comes into three components. One is your vision. Where are you heading? What's your end goal? The best example of vision that I love is we're going to land a man by, on the moon by the end of the decade, right? It's It makes your like stomach turn. Um, it's, you know, that JFK speech, I just love it because it's measurable, you know, what you're driving towards, you're going to know when exactly you get there. So we're going to land a man on the moon by the end of the decade. That's the vision. The mission is that we're going to build, and I don't, I forget, I'd have to look up what exactly the mission of NASA was at that time, you know, but build reliable aircraft that gets our astronauts to the moon and home safely, right? So that could be the mission that we're on. And then the third part are the values. What are the things, right? And Carmela gave some great examples here. Like there's usually some form of integrity, some form of respect, some form of trust. Safety is always one, whether it's psychological safety or physical safety. A lot of you are from the trades and have construction backgrounds. So safety is always a good one. And, and you know, whatever else you feel like drives. One of my favorites from an organization I was in was um, committed to something bigger, right? We're all committed to something bigger. We might have all different backgrounds and differences and we value diversity. And where we come together is on this vision and mission. That's what we have in common. So while we love diversity, we need to come together around a central cause and committed to something bigger um, is something that's great. Another one of my favorite values is something around continuous development, continuous learning, you know, because organizations that are are growing um, are learning from what they're doing. And so all, all, all good things. To me, those are the three ingredients and in architecture of an awesome culture that should equal healthy performing business by whatever metrics those are. Customer attraction, customer retention, profitability, top line revenue growth, all of those things. So um, things to think about there. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I know, you know um, culture is generally like how we pass along um, from person to person or generation to generation in society, right? Um, a way of being and a way of, of, yeah, what are our values, right? So I think that's um, the way of life at work is really definitely uh, associated with our values and our and our manners and our language and our rituals um, really comes across in in the organizational aspect of culture as well. And I think we're getting a lot of of clarity around that in our chat too with our with our audience today, which is really great. Um, the mission, the val, the vision, the purpose, and and then um, yeah, how the how of work behaviors is something that John added into the definition, um, how we architect and execute the how of work behaviors. 
So I love Brittany's definition in here too, right. which is the Gallup definition, the way we work, we the way we get done work. What can I say it? The way we get work done around here. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I think this is a really valuable conversation. Thanks for, for everyone participating and really kind of get into the core of what, yeah. What do we mean by culture? Yeah. Awesome. And that's the first step, right? Like if you have an undefined culture, go around and ask everybody, what does culture mean to you? What do you want us to define our culture as here? So that would really be step one. We say this big to me, culture is a very ambiguous term. So don't take it for granted. The first step, if you haven't defined it, is to ask people. And it is, it is how it manifests in the written and unwritten rules of your organization. That was one piece of advice that I gave this last week was they had a team that was really anti-defining culture and really anti-defining values. So the question was, how do we do it? And I said, just document how work gets done. Document how people make decisions. Do they make it via, uh, you know, dictatorship or consensus? And again, there's no, you know what, I'd encourage all the people in this, uh, in this, webinar to do is to not have judgment around it, right? Mm. You, some people like dictatorial leadership. Some people like consensus driven leadership, right? There's no judgment. How do you want to get work done and just say what you are, right? Often what happens is leaders say, oh, we're so consensus driven. And then they're a complete dictator. Like, just, just tell me what you are. I can hire, train and fire to it. That's one of my other Mm -hmm. favorite sayings that came out of an organization I worked with for a long time was it's, it's really what you hire, train and fire to is the culture Mm -hmm. to document it and then play it back for them and say, is this how you see it? Like, is this how we get work done or not? And it might land on them because they are not even awake, right? to how I'm not a dictator, right? I'm really consensus driven and everybody wants to work with me. And then you can be like, well, in these three, three discussions, you know, you cut off the conversation. Not everyone had a voice. Not everybody had an opinion. They didn't know how the decision was made all fine, but that's how our culture is running. And part of our job is just to hold up the mirror. And I think as HR leaders, sometimes we're afraid to do that, but that's, that's where we've got to start from. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I, I think that's really important to note. Yeah. We're not always aware, like we've been saying from the beginning of the session, it's there, whether you're intending for it to be or not. And so I figure out what it is already and like, yeah, face the music. Right. And then decide what to do from there. Um, You sum it up like uh, kudos there. I'm, I'm applauding you with Erica that that's exactly what it, what it boils down to. And so we, we've kind of identified uh, five pillars of a positive culture. Anita, this is, this is your brainchild and, and I want to have everyone get the opportunity to go through this and have you present to them the, the ways that you um, break this down into five kind of key, key factors. So the things that we can see and know if we're on track and those main pillars to, to sort of bucket things into. So as we're looking at all of these, you know, how do we get work done? How are decisions made? Um, What are we hiring, training and firing to? Um, We, you know, segmenting this into some, some categories and and the areas that we should be working on and focusing on when we're assessing our our positive work culture and building that. Um, I know the first pillar for that is, is mission. And can you go ahead and, and get started on just kind of bringing that forth with how you how you define the pillar of mission for positive work culture? 
Yeah. So let's go back to the JFK example. And the JFK example isn't mine. It came out of one of my favorite books. Like you can see all my books on either side. I call them my Bibles. And I've got a whole uh, section for Jim Collins because the first book that really talks about this, that taught me about this was Built to Last. So if you want some really, really tangible examples, I'd go get Built to Last and I'd look up examples of mission. And he defines the difference from vision to mission. And he outlines the JFK example that I think works so well. So, um, you know, we're going to land a man on the moon by the end of the decade would be the vision. The mission is we're going to build an aircraft that gets our astronauts safely to the moon and back. Right. So that would be the mission that the team is on to generate the vision by the end of the decade. And if you go through and you watch some uh, documentaries about that time, it took years and years for them to protect and create the aircraft that got the team back and forth safely. Like that was no small feat. And there's a number of different great movies out there that talk about it. But you want to make sure that um, you know, you're really architecting that mission thoughtfully. It's something that you can exactly put into the hands of the people, which I really like. So there's been times where I've worked with founders that it's like, talk to me about what you want. And I like it too. Right now, 2025 is my year because I think that's an easy year for us to get to. We're almost at the end of 2022. It's a good timeline. It's not too long. So go in and ask your founding team or your CEO, what do you want to be at the end of 2025? And talk to me about your customer. Talk to me about your product. Talk to me about how do you think safety and how you think about your team members. Talk to me about your customer. All of those things. Talk to me about the impact you want to have on the world, right? What is what is our um, philanthropic cause or something like that that's worked into the way that we work that's important to us? And really define it through metrics. Like what would we want to see in the next two years and three months that make it really palatable for us to think about? And then putting it out to the team members, you can do this in Jira, you can do it in Slack, you can do it in whatever communications tool that you really like and have the team members weigh in. I really like this. I wonder why you didn't put this. I think this is really interesting. I don't think there's any way we're gonna get there. Um, you wanna know what the base really thinks about it. And then it's a really great moment for you to tee up your founder to make a decision about the direction. Because the founder CEO has to own that direction, just like it was, we're going to land the man on the moon and get them safely back type mission. And then that way, all of our decisions are made out of that. And then our value statements, we say, what are the behaviors that are going to get us to this mission? So you can put all of that work in there together. Because if you don't, like here's a statistic that really hits me. Employees who don't like their organization's culture are 20 4% more likely to quit. That's a quarter of your current employee base, which is a truckload of humans at any size. And so you want to make sure that you're really architecting this because that way people will say, yes, I want to sign up for this or no, get me off this bus. And both are great outcomes because you know who's committed to the future and you know who isn't. And that's okay. You want to go help them find the mission they want to be on. Yes. And um, so talent um, and defining who it is you want to hire between now and 2025 is is a huge part of of this. Um, so now that we're talking about about talent and getting the right people on your bus, that's their that's the second pillar of culture. Who are you bringing onto the team, right? So, what can you tell us about bringing in the right talent? All right. If you do anything, if you take anything out of this time together, 
tell me you're not going to start with talent. Everybody starts with talent. They don't look at the mission. So the only way I can retain and hire people into an organization of any size is to understand where we're going. What are we going to do? And when are we going to do it by? And what does it look like? I always start with the mission, values, and vision piece of work when I'm building anything because I can't build culture without direction. And we're so quick to dump into the talent piece, jump into the talent piece, not dump in. But anyway, you got to jump into the talent piece second. So I'd love to see some real discipline and thoughtfulness on this because when you know exactly where you want to go, you know who you need to keep, grow, and hire. You can have a really thoughtful strategy around, are we going to build talent in these roles? Or are we going to go buy talent in these roles? You're probably going to want a combination of both strategies. And it really starts with the leadership team. Do they like growing people? If they don't, then you better plan on buying your talent. Again, no judgment. I don't have any judgment around any path. I just need to know the path, right? And then you want to know that the talent you bring in, every person in your organization that you have currently or you add to either adds to your culture or takes away from it. And so you have to be really clear. This is why a lot of people have been leaving because they're like, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't understand that this is how the organization was going to be. So if you don't do this in all your employment branding and your job descriptions and all of those things, then you're just going to turn it out. And one other metric I really like, I like, I like a lot of metrics. And so we'll deep dive on this eventually. But um, I think turnover in the first 12 months is the HR team's responsibility. We fouled it up to be honest. We didn't understand the design. We didn't understand the job. We didn't understand what we were sourcing for. We missed on the profile. After 12 months, then I like to look at leadership and say, why isn't this role being successful? What happened? Where are we missing here? So I think it's really important for you to kind of match those two together. Because, you know, I think without that, you're just running into a whole lot of mess, both for team members and leaders. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a few comments in the chat about the, ch- you know, kind of chicken the egg argument about whether culture or talent comes first. And and you, you've got a strong, a strong opinion here. And I think we all do well to listen to it. And um, as far as like talent comes first and then the culture gets built upon that from the right team is a comment from Diane. I think that's true that it takes all of us to build the culture in an organization, but knowing who you want on your team building it just, I, I think, comes from having that mission defined. And and I know the rest of our pillars don't follow this pattern, but uh, I got excited about this idea I just had. But Mission Monday, Talent Tuesday, like, just like, I love it. <laughs> we're going to have to edit the rest of the pillars. <laughs> we are. But so don't forget, Mission Monday, Talent Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> talent totally. comes second. I love that. You know, Diane, to your point around talent comes first, you know, I've I've always wondered about this, but if you think talent comes together to solve a problem, right? They come together because they're like, the world needs this. They We have to go deliver this to the world. And so again, this is really dependent on size and stage of organization. If you go like to the startup, you, you're like, what are we going to do that's going to change the world? And they get put on a mission. 
So I still think mission is coming first. And then you've got to have great product, right? Product that has a strong product market fit that people want to consume. So I think product can get you far. We've seen a number of companies that have, you know, okay cultures and have exceptional products and we still buy from them and people still want to work for them because they want to work for a product driven company that's selling something that's really making a difference or like having an impact in the world. So that works. I think leadership though, absent leadership, you can't have something that's built to last and something that goes beyond. So you kind of need this, this mix of all three. And just like anything, you have different focuses throughout the lifetime of the organization. Oh, Takar, I think I got myself. I know I had myself. So much excitement. You just put your hand down. So <laughs> well, <laughs> I just get so excited while you're talking. I just try to make sure I don't like <laughs> laugh over or like get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in the middle of your, of your <laughs> sharing your great ideas. So um, anyway, so that, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Um, I guess to be, to be fair to Diane too, um, uh, she was saying that that talent comes before culture, and I think we're we're building the the structure, the pillars underneath the the culture umbrella. So um, that's still a valid statement, but I want to hear talent second, not talent first. Either well, way, I think talent talent comes to go solve a big problem. You know, that's yeah. the way you capture talent right now. Um, especially for those of us that aren't big tech or, you know, big organizations, we've got to sell something different. And I find myself selling most often is the problem to solve and why that problem is different than anything else they're going to go get, right? Like we are going to learn more. You're going to have more influence. You're going to have more opportunity. I got to get in this LinkedIn group. Like I'm just seeing it going here. So I want, I want to get into, it's Anita K. Grant at LinkedIn. So, so put me in the group there. But yeah, I think you have to um, you have to have both talent and mission, a big problem yeah. to solve. Yeah. And once you've got that uh, inspiration, mission and problem to go solve and you're getting that talent in there, the next critical piece in building this positive culture is compensation um, is what our third pillar is. So why is compensation so important in culture? Well, so I love this. And so as you go through the past HR Unplugged episodes, we've done some deep dives on compensation. And really the purpose of this one is to put it all together for you. So we, in the in the deep dives of compensation, we say you've got to start with vision or mission and values. Then you have to work to the talent philosophy. And then from there, once you have your talent, like this is the type of talent I need to go get. How do I attract this talent? Like, what do they look like? If you go on LinkedIn and you look at their profiles, you look at where and what they're working on right now, you've got to say, how do I get them to look at us? And look, I've recruited for businesses that no one knows who they are. And that's even harder. You've got to have something different in your value proposition. So part of compensation is, you know, I think it's about total rewards. Compensation is one part. You'll have to go back to that unplugged episode where we go deep on all the pillars of compensation. So part of it is actually the people that you work with and working with great, smart people. Part of it are the benefits that you offer. Part of it, the environment that you're in, right? People will go to hybrid, remote, or in-person because everybody has a passion around one or a combination of all. And then you have this pay piece that has gotten much more attention over time as it should and actually is one of the most complex parts of our job. 
that I actually think if I'm being super honest with this group, I think it's one of the pieces that we as HR professionals are the weakest at. And so I put it in here specifically as compensation, because if you're afraid of it or you feel like you don't know exactly how to put it together, I'd encourage you to really grow your skill set in this area. People have to, like, here's some statistics for you. Low pay was the top 10 reason U.S. workers left a job in 2021. 37% of employees say that compensation was a major reason why they left their job. So I think that there's been so much movement on this front. You know, two years ago, if you asked me if compensation was the number one driver, I would have told you it's in the top three. But all the data I had seen is that leadership was number one. And I think that what happens is that compensation is the hook right? I'll pay you so much more to come do this job. And it's so much more that somebody picks up their head and they're like, oh, I'll take that phone call. And as soon as they take the phone call, you are dead in the water. You've lost the game. And so it doesn't mean that you have to pay the most. It means that you have to talk about what your commitment is to pay philosophy. So again, people can say, yes, I want to be on board or no, I don't want to be on board. And so do you pay the 50th, which means that 50% of companies are making more, 50% of companies are paying less. And you can do this. You don't need a big survey. I'm excited. You've probably seen the announcement that Bamboo's acquired. Welcome. So we're going to be here soon, a stop for you on the compensation path and really help grow all of you and your skills and compensation. I'm so excited about this. It's one of my passion projects forever. And so what you can do right now is if you don't have a survey is you could just say, let's look at all of our software engineers. You take the highest paid software engineer that you have and you take the lowest in the same skill set. So you want the same level or the same job and that becomes your range and it'll teach you a lot, right? Are people more closely to the top of the range at the bottom? Do you have a bell curve? You know, what do you have? Why do you have it? Go assess why you have the disparity in the range. And from that place, you can start evolving your pay practices to figure out where you are and is the is that the place you really want to be? So um, if it's an area that you're afraid of, again, or you're not as strong in, I really encourage you um, to build this as a skill set. It's really a key core competency for HR of the future. Awesome. Yeah. I think knowing why you're being paid the way you're being paid makes such a difference instead of just a number, you know, a numbers, the numbers kind of thing is it's not the whole picture. And I think some of our audience has been on some of these sessions before because I'm hearing total rewards. And so the next pillar contributing to that compensation discussion are is benefits, right? Another critical piece of positive culture pillars and not just on the compensation. I, I, I would guess here, about what you're about to say, but tell us more about benefits and how those impact culture or even define some of your culture pieces. Yeah. So benefits is, is an interesting one for me now. And I think benefits are entry to the game. Like, I think you can do a few things to differentiate, but you've just got to be straight up competitive on the core benefits. Like there's just no discussion around it because benefits keep people there uh, I'm, I'm going to rewind that. I don't think benefits keep people at a job. I think benefits make people feel like they're covered. And, and some people will leave for stronger benefits, but they're becoming less of a differentiator now than I think they've ever been before because so many great companies have great benefits. And so you kind of have to decide where you want to play. 
Like on the benefits spectrum, are you ahead at or behind market? It's important for you to know. And strategically, why have you picked that position relative to your pay? And are people leaving or staying like at Bamboo? People love our benefits, but they, um, you know, it's it's something that they're really used to. Um, they're really leaving us for compensation and they're leaving us for leadership and a bigger opportunity. Like if I look at the data, right? So those are the areas that we're really focused on because we're really ahead of the curve and most of our benefits offerings. So it also kind of helps you disseminate where do I place my energy and where do I look about that? Definitely paid paternal leave and maternal leave is a differentiator. Um, and we're competing against big, big companies with very, very strong, rich benefits on maternity and paternity leave. So if you're not looking at it as something, again, that's becoming entry into the game, something that you're going to have to look at. I mean, the statistics are simple. Almost 80% of team members say that they're more likely to stay in their role because the benefits are attractive, especially if you look at your personas of, of people using your benefits. If you have a lot of people with families, that's going to be an important thing to them. Do you want to look at your customer? All right, I, I say the word customer and I mean team member or employee. If you have a bunch of early career team members that don't have families, I don't think benefits are going to be as important. Right. So you want to make sure that you're really thinking about your use cases and why people are there. And again, surveying them once a year on benefits and what they love and what they'd like more of is just a key piece of data that you've got to have. Um, you know, big thing that's come in is almost 80% of employees say they're more willing to stay if they can have flexible work hours. That was the gift of the pandemic was flexibility. It's something that we've needed in the workforce for so long. And you have to be able to define how it works for your product and customer. Just don't be swayed because everybody's doing it. I want you to give that up and do what's best for your organization. And you'll attract people that feel that way too. There's enough out there that like all different ways of flexibility and ways in your environment. So don't, don't miss that. Don't feel like you have to be all things to all people because you'll fail. When you say what specific questions you ask on benefit mm -hmm. surveys, we can definitely send that out as a follow-up. But part of yeah. it is how valuable do you feel, you know, all your suite of benefits are? Are they super valuable? Would you leave us if we didn't continue to offer this benefit? What are the benefits that you're missing? right? What are benefits do you wish that we offered here that would make you want to stay for the next four years? What benefits would make you say that you're proud to be at this organization, right? Go back to that say, stay, strive. Are there any benefits we could offer that would give you more of a sense of belonging here? That's an important mm -hmm. question too, right? Most of our healthcare providers and insurance providers haven't taken an inclusivity lens around their product service, websites, mm -hmm. enrollments, et cetera. So it's important that you think about those pieces too. So a lot of, a lot of things, has anyone been successful in offering a varied package to most um, to boomers and millennials? That's part of doing your research, right? How many do you have in the boomer population? Mm -hmm. How many do you have on the early career millennial population and asking them what's most important. There's a lot of platforms that have come to market that offer flexibility. Push your healthcare broker to go find these things for you and do this research. You shouldn't have to do it yourself. If you have a healthcare broker, have them do this work. They should be proactively serving it up to you. So don't miss that. Yeah. I, I love that that's the the direction we're going. And uh, I think DEI has been, you know, um, 
something that we all care about and all find kind of challenging. And this is a, and benefits are a great area to start applying that DEI lens. And one of the I questions- share, I just got to share this one because I love yeah. it about bamboo. And I think if I'd known about this, I would have done it so much sooner in my career. So bamboo has floating holidays. Right now, um, you know, post 2020, there's too many holidays for us to give paid time off for every holiday that matters to your population. I mean, you'd be giving a paid time off day you know, every week for, you know, everything that matters to everyone. So we do uh, floating holidays. And one thing we've got to upgrade in this is the month before it happens, we have to say, hey, this isn't a paid off bamboo holiday. This is an opportunity for you to take one of your floating holidays to celebrate something that might really matter to you. And then that way you're giving flexibility, which is important, back into your population to take the days off to the holidays that matter most. Yeah, that is that is a really nice flexibility type benefit and personalized custom application of it. Uh, one of the other things that got mentioned, and I think I can probably quickly summarize, but um, Jenny asked, you know, why separate compensation and benefits in these pillars, uh, especially when, you know, we we're preaching this total compensation approach. And uh, I think it's that they're different They're that the strategies are different. Uh, when we're talking about how they impact culture and how to go about the compensation and the benefits section, it's just that there's slightly different strategies on defining those. But overall, your uh, talent, you know, um, offers are going to be from a total compensation lens. Is that does that sound fair to you, Anita? Uh, I would add one piece. I think it's 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 eighty percent fair. And the piece that I would add is you don't ship anything that doesn't tie to your mission, values, or mission, vision, values, vision, or mission. Okay. So you don't ship anything that doesn't tie to those three. And right now this goes back to the trend I'm seeing with a lot of HR leaders is everybody wants to be all things to all people. And they feel like they have to offer everything. The way you go through the benefits lens of what you offer and what you don't should be based on the mission that you're on. And because that's why people signed up. Those are the things that are important to them. So I love like um, you'll see coming up in another podcast. I got to sub for our CEO, Brad Rencher, and our podcast, The Era. And I get to interview LJ Brock, uh, Chief People Officer at Coinbase. And they are really good at defining what they do and what they don't do. And I love this because it speaks very specifically to building trust in crypto. Now, the people that go work at Coinbase are very key on decentralization and crypto. Those are the things that matter most to them. And that's what they build their culture around. They don't try to service everyone. So I would just use that as a lesson around the lens that you're putting it through. It's got to relate because then people can see the tie. Same with any other HR program that you ship should be tied to that. Awesome. Thanks. So our final pillar, number five, and also connects to some of the comments I've seen here too, leadership. Um, you know, how, how do we manage when leadership is, needs to be, um, a beacon, uh, a, um, spotlight of cult of your culture and how do we understand how it's so critical and how to make sure that it's driving this, this building a positive culture agenda. It's all dead in the water, absent leadership. Like really, I think it's it's the most important thing. It's the thing I get most excited about talking about is leadership. And look, as HR leaders, all of our programs succeed or fail based on leadership buy-in. It's my dream 
that every product we ship out of our HR team is consumed by our leaders because they love it, not because I'm the only provider of the product or service, right? And so making sure that you view leadership and the team members like your customer is a key lens to put this over the top, lens number one. Lens number two is it ties back to your vision, mission, and values. And lens number three is that life is too short to work at a place that you don't love. You know, it's really important that we create workplaces that we can find things in common around and bring our best selves to the work. And so it's just really critical that leadership team is digging in to create the environment where people are excited to come. Right now, we've got quiet quitting. We have people signing up and doing three jobs with three different laptops. Like you wouldn't know if I had three different laptops from three different computers. They're right in front of me right now, right? So the only thing that will make the difference of people staying and going is leadership. So I really want you to take a moment and ask yourself, Am I being the best leader that I can be right now? Because I think the leadership offered by HR is critical. If you if you build all this stuff and you don't believe it or you're bad-mouthing it or you're bad-mouthing another leader or another program that you've got in place, no one's going to believe in you as an effective HR team. So we've talked about this a little bit, I think, in episode one and episode two, that you really have to think of yourself as an impactful leader here. And then how do you look as everybody else, as your customers? especially the CEO relationship, making sure that you two are lockstep in what you're driving for and that he really believes in it. Because I think a lot of these programs are generated by demonstration from the top. Like if you look at um, you know neuroscience related to leadership, we have these things that are called mirror neurons. And so what it means is people naturally mirror what they see happening out there. Your words are like nothing in your communication. It's your actions that are everything. And so if you have actions that show that you believe in everything that's happening, people will do that too. If you show dis disbelief, that will create lack of trust and lack of integrity and lack of inclusivity into your base. And that's a real culture killer. A happy culture is a happy HR team with buy-in from leadership. And I can't emphasize it enough. Yes, thank you. Okay, so and those so the five pillars, Judy uh, reiterated them. We had a few people asking for a recap: mission, talent, compensation, benefit, leadership. Now that we've covered those pillars, I want to ask the audience: What do you think of these five pillars? Does, are there any that come to mind as a specific strength or weakness for your organization? Uh, you know, which pillar do you find? is the most challenging for you to build? Is there, is there one that you just get stuck on specifically of these? Is there one that, you know, you're like, that's my Achilles heel. I just can't figure it out. Let's see what you, what you've got here in the chat. You know, a few Ooh, things I want to talk with, uh, I think it's Kaya. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your, your name correctly. Um, and the comment there was, what do you do if you don't have budget for compensation and benefits is you start from what you have. Like you've got to start from somewhere you're paying people and you're offering some type of benefits. Are you making the most with what you have? And does it tie back to your mission or vision? Another leadership, leadership, leadership is the wild card. Another piece too, is that you get much further with leadership. Leadership is your free chip, right? You've got to double down on it. It is the most effective and the, and the cheapest one you've got. When you have great leaders, right? You'll live or die for them. You will go to the top of the mountain for leaders and a mission that you believe in. You've got to double down on leadership. 
And then when you talk about creative benefits, again, don't put any benefit in place that doesn't speak to your mission, vision, or values. And that's the best way to be discriminatory around what you offer is does it tie into the mission that we're on? Is it critical to the mission that you're on? And even though you may have a limited budget, you may discover extra dollars around a benefit that isn't being used or that isn't super impactful to the vision and mission that you're on. And, and definitely leadership is the key. That seems to be the one. And make sure we look in the mirror first on leadership and say, how effective is my own leadership in this picture? How can I be better? You know, I was talking to a leader on our team earlier today and her feedback was like, I never hear from this leader, a peer of mine, another mm -hmm. leader on the team. And I said, great. How was it when you gave this person that feedback? And, you know, it, it was quiet, just like this, Dakara, you know, nothing was said. And it can be really light and direct and say, hey, I'm, I'm your HR partner. I'm here to help you be successful. I feel sometimes like maybe the things I'm working on aren't high priority for you. What's the best way for us to communicate? Is it in person? Is it via email? Is it on Slack? Because these things I think I could really help you with. So help me help you and how I can get better responses in a more timely manner. Like, does it have to be super heavy? So don't be afraid, push your leaders and give them that feedback around how they can be more effective in the spirit of your values. Yeah, thank you. I know uh, leadership and compensation were definitely the winners of that. And we, I think we'll take that opportunity to, to talk more about that going forward. And leadership being the key is, is clear. And we, you know, need the, that mission, vision and values uh, to tell the leaders whether or not they're on track. Right. So it's all, it's all very um, synergistic, regardless of the sequence we put them in. We do have a few takeaway actionable items that we should get out before the end of this session. Um, what have you got for, for our audience today as far as what they can leave and go get started on and start, start chewing on immediately? Yes. So these are in priority order. So the first one that we actually didn't put on the slide, but we talked about is if you don't have a clearly defined culture, talk about what is a clearly defined culture for your organization. So that was the one thing is like, why is it important to you? Why do you need it? Why do you need to define it? Or why does your team feel like they don't want to define it? That's useful information too. remember no judgment around the path. It's just defining the path. So really get clear on why culture matters. Be clear on the mission and values and vision that you have. Really think about how that aligns to your talent strategy and the talent you want to go get to make that mission a reality. Really understand like how you need to improve any gaps that you have and make sure that your company goals are aligned with leadership actions. We talked a lot about this. You all said pretty much most all of you said that leadership was your number one. Maybe that's a good follow-up topic for us to make sure team members feel recognized and appreciated and they want to stay and be a part of the mission going forward. I love the recognition part. I think that's such an important part of reinforcing, giving that feedback loop for the culture you're trying to build is, is make sure that you're, you're rewarding and acknowledging and recognizing people who are meeting, you know, or who are delivering on that culture in some way. I think that's a creative way to, to make sure you're investing in that to answer David's question, like avoiding oh, think yeah. on culture, it can be a giant rat hole. And so I would write something and let them react to it and tell them what they love and what they loathe about what you wrote. And that'll get you really clearly in a, in a path that works. 
That's bold and awesome way to like encourage that candid communication and feedback, right? Just ask for it. Just like, <laughs> give me your worst. Let's go. This is what we need to know. Thank you so much for being part of this community. We really appreciate you. Keep up the great work. You're all awesome. Thanks to Kara. Thanks, Anita. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambi HR. Visit us at bambuhr.com slash HR dash unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work.